Hello, and welcome to the SWIB podcast, where members of the Wisconsin Retirement System can turn for timely information on the investments that help fund the state's pension system. I'm Chris Preisler, Communications Specialist for the State of Wisconsin Investment Board, or SWIB. And I'm Dusty Weiss, producer of the podcast. The beginning of a new year is a time to reflect on the year gone by and look forward to the fresh start that lies ahead. In 2021, the financial markets saw ongoing volatility caused by the coronavirus pandemic, and the Federal Reserve continued with policies it put in place to combat the economic effect of the pandemic. Interest rates, inflation, and supply chain backlogs were all topics that grabbed headlines throughout the year. But in the end, SWIB remained committed to its long-term investment strategy for the Wisconsin retirement system and generated strong investment returns. In this episode of the SWIB podcast, we will talk with SWIB Executive Director and Chief Investment Officer Edwin Denson. We'll ask Edwin how SWIB navigated the challenges of the past year, how some of the world's headline-making events impacted financial markets, and what he expects for the new year ahead. The SWIB podcast is a regular opportunity for you to learn more about the people and funds that comprise the Wisconsin Retirement System. Please make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And share this podcast with your fellow WRS members. Maybe leave us a review on iTunes so it's easier for other members to find this show. Today, we welcome back to the podcast SWIB Executive Director and Chief Investment Officer Edwin Denson. Edwin was appointed EDCIO in April of 2021. He joined SWIB in 2018 as Managing Director of Asset and Risk Allocation. Before joining SWIB, Edwin was Managing Director Strategic Tilting at Canada Pension Plan Investment Board. Prior to that, Edwin spent 13 years in asset allocation, currency, and risk management. Earlier in his career, Edwin was an economist at Lehman Brothers, Primark Decision Economics, and Putnam Investments. Edwin holds a bachelor's degree in economics from Cornell University and a PhD in economics from Northwestern University. Edwin, first off, Happy New Year and welcome back to the SWIB podcast. Well, thank you for having me and Happy New Year to you and all our listeners. It's always an honor and privilege to have the opportunity to communicate with our stakeholders who depend on us to deliver the investment returns needed to support their retirements. So Edwin, let's get started with the question that's probably on the mind of all the WRS participants right now. How did the trust funds finish the year? Well, I'm happy to report that the WRS trust funds had another very strong year. Uh, despite the continued challenges in the markets, we remain committed to our long-term strategy. The core fund, the larger of the two trust funds with more than $136 billion in assets, is going to finish the year with a return of just under 17% net of fees. And the variable fund, which is an optional stock-only fund with about $11 billion in assets, is going to end the year with a net return of just under 20%. The great news for WRS participants is that these returns are expected to result in annuity increases for WRS retirees and continued stability and contribution rates for both active employees and their employers. Well, it certainly is good news, Edwin. Can you talk about some of the strategies and portfolios that performed well in 2021? Of course. Well, first off, it was just a good year all around for equity markets, good enough to offset the low and in some cases negative returns experienced in fixed income because of the general rise in interest rates that were realized early in 2021. So the market environment in general provided a very strong tailwind. In addition, several of our active strategies had good years as well. We were able to add value in fixed income, both in high grade and high yield corporate bonds in public equity in the small cap and emerging market segments. Our hedge fund investments did well. And on a preliminary basis, both our private equity and real estate portfolios saw good results versus their benchmarks. 
I mean, there's a lot to be proud of from 2021 for SWIB. I'm sure that this is not news to you, but anytime you can say annuity increase for participants, that's good news for everybody involved. But you took over the dual role of executive director and chief investment officer in April. So when you look back at the past year, what are you most proud of? Well, there are a lot of things I'd like to list off here in terms of what there was to be proud of. First of all, staff continued to work diligently to meet our mission through the continuing pandemic and the resulting hybrid work environment. I'm also very proud of the culture and values work that we executed last year. We believe that living up to our values will help us meet our mission and achieve our vision. We, on the investment side, launched an internal high-yield and mortgage-backed securities capabilities. Uh, We also continued progress on implementing our new investment platform that will better support the growing complexity and sophistication of our investment strategies. And finally, we continue to grow our staff by attracting high-quality talent to augment and complement our existing high-quality staff. I want to switch gears now and ask you to pull out your crystal ball. We're just a few weeks into 2022. And if you read the headlines, there's a lot to keep an eye on from COVID to inflation to potentially three interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. I know there's a lot to unpack when you look at the potential challenges for the new year. So let's start with COVID. We're coming up on two years since we entered the pandemic. How is COVID-19, the variants, vaccinations, the different mandates across the world impacting the global financial markets? Well, Chris, of course, the pandemic has been the economic story of the past two years now. It's been the driver of both monetary and fiscal policy, not just here in the U.S., but also around the world. As policymakers did what they could to mitigate the effects of partial or full shutdowns in most sectors of the economy, and as the development and wide distribution of effective vaccines allowed for meaningful re-engagement of economic activity, there have been a couple of snags. Uh, First, there have been numerous supply chain issues which have resulted in supply not being able to keep up with the demand recovery. These have arisen for several reasons. The reopening of the global economy has been uneven due to differences in the pace and breadth of reopening on a country-by-country basis. A second, there's also been what has been termed the great resignation, or the seeming permanent exit from the workforce by a meaningful number of folks, resulting in labor shortages. The unemployment rate, which is the proportion of people who want to work but are not, is close to where it was pre-pandemic, within half a percentage point. But the proportion of the population that wants to work, otherwise known as the labor force participation rate, remains about one and a half percentage points below where it was pre-pandemic. So despite the fact that we have a record in the number of job openings relative to the working age population, the number of people actually working remains about one and a half to two percent below pre-pandemic levels. Now, both these supply chain issues and the labor shortages are contributing to inflation. As in any situation where demand exceeds supply at a given price level, typically that leads to higher prices, whether it is the price of goods or the price of labor. And we are seeing that both with goods and with wages. You know, it's always striking to me when these financial headlines start impacting people in their day to day lives. And as you talk about things like the supply chain and the labor shortage, Edwin, you and I were talking beforehand about just how you've heard of a daycare center where they've had 100 percent turnover in just the past couple of months here. And I know that my wife and I in particular, we need to get a bigger car because we're growing our family and we put in an order six months ago. 
car hasn't showed up yet. So these labor shortages, these supply chain things are not just headlines, but they're impacting people in their day to day life. And and I think people are feeling the economy perhaps a little more than they normally do. It's closer to the top of mind. But related to that, we're also coming up on almost two years of the most aggressive easing policies ever put in place by the Federal Reserve to combat the economic effects of the coronavirus pandemic. The Fed has indicated that its run of ultra easy policy is going to be coming to a close. And so what do you see happening with the economy and that going forward? And is this going to be another one of those financial stories that people see impact them in their day to day lives? I think it definitely will be the story of 2022, and that is what the Fed actually ends up doing. Earlier, it was referenced that there were three interest rate hikes priced, and actually, it's now up to four. So it's an ever-evolving, changing dynamic in terms of market expectations for the Federal Reserve. As I said, they're now forecasting less gradual reversal of policies that will bring both faster a taper of quantitative easing and more rate hikes sooner than were previously expected. Some folks are even now beginning to fear a very sudden ending of asset purchases altogether and a rate hike as early as next week. Now, that seems a little bit extreme, but it just gives you uh, insight into uh, the uncertainty that's making its way into the marketplace. So currently, that is as of this morning, the market is pricing in a total of about 100 basis points or 1% in terms of rate hikes by the end of this year and another 50 to 75 basis points or half a percent to three quarter of a percent by the end of next year. Now, I do want to take a step back and make some comments about the Fed here. The Federal Reserve always has a fine balancing act to follow when it comes to raising interest rates coming out of a recession. Though there are many experts on monetary policy at the Fed, they do not know for sure what level of interest rates will qualify inflation or what level will tip the economy back into recession. They have to feel their way along, both in terms of what they do with the reversal of quantitative easing and with increases in short-term interest rates. But it's not just actions that need care, but also the communication and signaling of intent where the Fed needs to feel its way along as well. The job this time around, compared to other rate hike cycles over the past 20 years, is that we do have elevated inflation to balance against full employment goals. So you mentioned inflation. It's a topic that really got people talking in 2021. Has inflation peaked? And what can we expect in the coming year in terms of maintaining the Fed's target of 2%? Well, inflation is generally expected to peak in the first quarter of this year and subside into the end of this year and also over 2023. However, Lower inflation means it will still be near 5% for this year, which is very high relative, again, to the last 20 years. And even in 2023, it's expected to be closer to 2.5%, which is still above the Fed's 2% target. Now, taking a little bit of a step back and putting this into perspective, if you've been following the markets over the past 10 years, the Federal Reserve has been sort of self-critical about their inability to get inflation to average 2% over a meaningful period of time. Well, they've certainly gotten as much as I think they could bargain for in terms of the response of inflation. And it it wasn't just to the monetary policy that uh, Dusty referenced earlier that was unprecedented. We also had the largest fiscal stimulus that we've seen since World War II, combined with that very strong and aggressive monetary policy. And those have both conspired to create the inflationary environment that we are seeing now. Plus, we've got supply chain. Plus, we've got labor. And so with all of these factors together, what's the economic outlook for 2022? 
cautiously optimistic, Dusty, because except for the pandemic, there aren't really any underlying fundamental issues for the economy. There's no bounds on the ability for banks to create credit. Household balance sheets look good. Really what's standing in the way is uncertainty about the pandemic and also how the Fed will actually end up acting in terms of the tapering and raising interest rates. And again, because the Fed itself has to feel its way through the process, there are bound to be ups and downs and hiccups along the way. But again, cautiously optimistic as I would be in any economic recovery. Growth is seen near 4% this year and is expected to remain above trend at about 2.6% in 2023. The unemployment rate is generally expected to come down to 3.7% this year and to continue to decline a little bit in the following year. And stock market gains are expected to be small, low single digit near the end of the year compared to where we are now. So you mentioned that stock market gains could be lower than what we've seen the past two years. So related to that, in December, SWIB's Independent Board of Trustees approved asset allocation targets for 2022. Is the allocation designed in response to the anticipated lower returns from stocks? Well, not necessarily. We have seen a great deal of volatility in the markets over the past couple of years. Approximately half of the core fund will remain invested in public equities. The remainder of the trust fund is diversified among fixed income, real estate, private equity, and inflation-sensitive assets. The board has approved a robust and diversified asset allocation that can help us weather changes in market conditions without us having to predict precisely when those changes will occur. We've been anticipating lower equity returns for a few years now, but fortunately that hasn't happened. We have allocated our capital to areas we feel the most confident we can generate reasonable returns based on the risk we are taking. Within public equities and public fixed income, the 2022 asset allocation is tilting towards sub-asset classes that have more expected active return potential to increase the likelihood of meeting the 6.8% target for the core trust fund over the long term. The asset allocation allows us to take full advantage of the skill and knowledge of our staff. The confidence we have in the allocation comes because of the highly qualified staff that we have managing risk and generating the necessary returns through active management. You know, Edwin, you talk about balancing acts, and, and one of the most important jobs that you have in managing the Wisconsin retirement system is determining how the trust funds are going to be invested. Striking inappropriate balance between the risk taken and the returns generated is crucial in helping keep the WRS among the only fully funded public pension systems in the country. So can you give us a little peek behind the curtain as far as the process of determining that asset allocation goes? Yeah, absolutely. So in October of every year, investment staff and SWIB's asset allocation consultant present the results of our annual asset allocation review. The review includes an in-depth look at the current market and economic environment and themes, as well as developing trends that might impact our investment decisions in the future. This year, in addition to the annual asset allocation review, we incorporated results of stress testing of the Wisconsin retirement system. Every two years, we conduct robust stress testing of the system to evaluate and reconsider our investment strategy. Since 2013, SWIB has worked with Gabrielle Roeder-Smith, the WRS's independent actuary, to conduct the stress testing. Now, here we're not trying to calculate exact predictions, but we want to understand the range of potential outcomes for the WRS under various market scenarios, including 
including severely unfavorable markets. We test multiple scenarios with different asset mixes over long periods of time. The goal is to implement an asset allocation that fits into what we call the Goldilocks zone, and that is an allocation that is neither too hot nor too cold in terms of risk taken and expected returns. And so what did you take away from the stress testing completed by the actuaries in 2021? Well, two things. First, more risk is required in 2022 for any particular return aspiration. And secondly, we do have a nice cushion built up so that we do not have to reach in terms of taking undue risk. Now, what I mean by we have to take more risk this year for any particular return aspiration, for example, is that in 2019, when we engaged in this exercise, in order to achieve a 6% return, there was a 10.7% risk associated with that return. And for a 7% return, there was a risk of 14.7%. Now, for those same two returns, a 6% and 7%, we now have to take almost 50% more risk. We need to have 15.5% risk to get the 6% return and a little bit over 20% risk in order to achieve the 7% return. And this is because more exposure to risky assets like public equity is needed in the allocation mix to achieve any particular return. And that's because the outsized returns that we've seen over the last three years have detracted from the forward-looking expectations. However, the good news is that those higher returns over the last three years have built up the dividend reserve for annuitants. These returns have yet to fully flow through the system, given the smoothing mechanisms that are in place, and they do provide us a cushion to employ an asset allocation that is expected to run a little on the cool side in terms of return over the next few years. So you mentioned that the core fund is a fully diversified fund. We should note that there were no recommended asset allocation changes for the variable fund, which is required by state law to only invest in equities. The variable fund is invested in 70% domestic and 30% international public equities. Also, if listeners are interested in learning more about SWIB's investment guidelines or stress testing, they can visit our website at www.swib.state.com. Got to say, always excited to learn more about how my money's managed. So definitely check that out. And Edwin, as we mentioned earlier, you took over as executive director and chief investment officer just last April. And so as you close in on the anniversary of that transition, what's personally got you excited about the upcoming year here? Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the investment management staff rolls out our 2022 asset allocation and our active risk allocation, and how our investment services staff rolls out the implementation of our new investment platform. It's always satisfying to see highly skilled folks working together to execute on a plan, and executing on that plan is integral to the mission of securing the financial futures of all WRS participants. Edwin, thank you again for joining us on the podcast and sharing your thoughts on 2021 and what we might expect in 2022. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners for checking out this episode of the SWIB podcast. The SWIB podcast is brought to you by the State of Wisconsin Investment Board and produced by PodCamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. Our editor and producer is Larry Kilgore III. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chris Preisler. And I'm Dusty Weiss.